This is Citizen U. Uh, um, I'm your host for the first uh, Wednesday of the month, Dan Jurdy, a county supervisor. Your host for the third Wednesday of the month of Citizen U is Mari Roden, a Ukiah council member. Citizen U, our goal here with the show is to connect you with people who are making a difference here in Mendocino County to help empower you to also make a difference here in Mendocino County. Today, we have a really special guest on the show. Um, his name is Peter McNamee. He um, grew up here in Mendocino County in Willits. Uh, went on to uh, UC Davis and um, worked a bit after that for the state and was at a very young age, he was elected the county clerk recorder assessor in county of Yolo, right next to Sacramento and where uh, Davis is located and uh, served two terms um, as uh, county clerk recorder, went on uh, to get his master's in business and uh, public uh, administration at the John F. Kennedy School at Harvard then went back to work for the state of California. And um, anyway, he and his wife, uh, Donna Brownsley, um, now Mendocino County resident, um, purchased a home here in Navarro and then later in the Fort Bragg area. And I, I, um, I'd like to introduce Peter and, and let him fill in a little bit more about him. And the reason I've invited him to be on the show today is because of his excellence in um, public service and his work with a group called the Grassroots Institute here in Mendocino County, which um, is working on a number of exciting projects, um, largely on the education front, educating the public about opportunities to um, build our community at a number of levels. But uh, Peter, um, can you fill in the audience just a little bit more about, about yourself? Well, thank you, Dan, for that uh, kind introduction. Uh, I think you hit some... Uh, pretty good highlights. Mostly, um, I would say my life has been uh, one that has, from a career standpoint, been uh, overwhelmingly dedicated uh, to being involved in the public sector. And uh, I guess, uh, in part, that comes from uh, my mother, uh, who uh, was a single parent raising three kids, and uh, she became a teacher. And that's how I ended up uh, going, uh, uh, you know, kind of learning uh, very early in life uh, about uh, the importance of communities and uh, about doing things collectively um, in our, to benefit the entire kind of community that we live in, the society that we live in. And those are all values that were drilled into me from a very uh, young age. Uh, and uh, I have to say, now I'm retired um, and 70. Um, so uh, I've, I've uh, spent about 40 years uh, of my adult life uh, focusing on public service in one form or another. And um, I have to say, it, it's been very rewarding for me. A lot of people, I think, uh, are critical of the public sector, and for good reason. Um, there is a lot to be critical of in, in the public sector, and, and I'm sure we'll sort of get into that later on this morning. But um, from, from my standpoint, I also, it's kind of looking at the glass half empty or half full. Um, if you look at it half full, what you see is, is how dependent we are. Um, you know, every time there's a crisis, people look to their government to respond to it. Um, we need services uh, 
um, that we can't afford to provide to ourselves, but we can collectively um, pool our resources to make them happen. We look to our government um, in large extent. I think uh, that's particularly true in urban areas uh, and in rural areas. I, 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 one of the things I love about uh, being in Mendocino is that uh, it's very community driven. And at the very local level, we even, we've created all kinds of institutions in addition to our government institutions in order to provide uh, the kinds of uh, common goods and services that we all benefit from. Uh, the, lots of volunteer organizations. And uh, as we'll talk about a little bit later, um, I've become involved with uh, the Grassroots Institute here in Mendocino County um, as of that kind of a focus of people deciding what they want their future to look like in their community and um, organizing themselves to be vocal about it. So uh, it, it's been a great, great run. I'm really happy uh, um, having been in public service all these years. And uh, I have some thoughts uh, that I hope we get a chance to touch upon here today about, um, you know, why people, how people can plug in efficiently and effectively uh, to their local government, um, but also to community organizations and, and build uh, solutions for the common good. And and um, I hope you don't mind the comparison, but um, in in a way, I actually think of you a little bit like I think of um, our, our former legislator for the area, Wes Chesbro, um, because you're sort of of that same generation who who got involved at the local level. You know, think globally, act local locally. Um, back in the in the 70s, and and ran for office at a very young age, but then had a really you know extensive career um, with the state. Um, later in, you know, throughout the, your middle ages and, and later in life, but then you're bringing that to bear, um, you know, the experience you've, you've gained, the um, knowledge you gained from that to try to do what you can um, to make life better here in Mendocino County on issues that obviously, um, you, you know, you care a lot about. And we'll, we'll go into some of those issues because I think a lot of those issues align with the work you're doing with the Grassroots Institute. And one of those issues um, that, that the Grassroots Institute um, and, and you brought to the attention of, of myself and, and all of the county supervisors um, was an issue that I think, you know, fortunately, we, we had all five supervisors in alignment on this issue. We all wanted to do something. And your group really helped catalyze us to um, um, kind of think a little deeper on the subject and, 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 and I think take a pretty profound action. And that was um, what later became um, a, a pretty extensive resolution giving direction to the county as an organization, st stating the county's goals on, on reducing and eliminating the county um, carbon footprint from the county's operations, um, its fleet, its buildings, um, to, to kind of he address head on the underlying issue that, which is carbon emissions, which is driving a lot of the different crises around, around the state, around the county, dealing with climate change. And um, that resolution um, was edited and, and modified by Supervisor Hashak and I, who, who sponsored it, but really embraced by all five counts, uh, supervisors. And uh, you know, I think that was an example of a really thoughtful approach by a community group that didn't just have a general idea, which of course you guys did, and you had some very specific ideas, but you, um, you know, took the considerate effort of of working with a couple of supervisors um, 
to refine that to get our input um, because we had our own ideas about how it could be implemented and and added our own ideas to it. Um, sometimes I'll see a, a community group that'll approach the board um, and and sort of expect the elected officials just to rubber stamp exactly what the group came up with. And I think that collaborative approach that your group had, and I, and I think it was really because of that sophistication of yourself and other people in the group realizing that it, it would have more um, life to the to the proposal if there was total buy-in from from the five supervisors. Um, so um, I do want us to talk a little bit about that project and also kind of the the continual continuous work that that we're all doing, um, attempting to implement that vision. So Peter, do you want to just uh, talk add a little bit more about what what your group uh, brought to bear on that on that concept? Uh, absolutely. Um, but you know, I I, I want to go back to your first thought there, which was um, you uh, uh, associated me with uh, West Chestboro. And uh, since I'm old, I get to do this, you know. Um, Wes and I actually go back to uh, the early 1970s. Um, we were both members of uh, a organization called the California Campaign for Economic Democracy, um, which was a statewide organization um, uh, with, uh, I think there were close to 13 local chapters uh, throughout the state of California. Um, and this, this, just for historical standpoint, um, was very formative for me. This was <clears throat> at a time in my life when I was just starting my professional career, and, um, uh, and I, I got associated uh, with uh, a very progressive organization and the, the sort of uh, camaraderie and learning process that went through of learning what was going on. Wes, at the same time, uh, was uh, running for the city council in Eureka, I believe, um, and later became a supervisor uh, in Humboldt County. Um, <clears throat> but he was also uh, affiliated and we, we started bumping into each other at various uh, statewide meetings. And uh, uh, I did see an affinity there that we've maintained um, over decades, um, you know, talking to each other and, uh, uh, when I when I first I'll, I'll say one sort of I think humorous side sidebar to this, which was uh, when I retired um, from uh, public service back in 2007, uh, I I decided I was going to go back to my roots, so I let, started letting my hair grow and I grew a ponytail and I ran into Ch uh, to, to Wes at one of these uh, uh, fundraisers locally. Uh, here in Mendocino County, and uh, I showed him my ponytail, and he's, you know, I'm going to do that just as soon as I leave office as well. And uh, <laughs> it, it was, uh, it, it's just, uh, it's amazing. I've, I've run into so many people, dedicated public servants over the years, uh, like like Wes, who uh, who have uh, made huge contributions um, to their community through just hard work. And, and one of the things, both as a, an assembly member and as a senator, I have to, to say about Wes is that uh, he was the most uh, attentive person I ever met. And, and he would go to any meeting where anybody wanted him to, to listen to what they had to say. And he would truly listen and try to, you know, melt it into a larger vision 
that he had for uh, the district and for the state of California. So, um, you know, that's a, that's a high compliment to uh, associate uh, what I do uh, with what Wes has done in the past. Uh, and as I said, we started out doing uh, uh, public service um, in our young 20s. And, and I was elected uh, county clerk and recorder in Yolo County when I was 25, which uh, at the time was uh, the youngest county clerk um, in California. I'm not sure that anybody ever got elected county clerk anywhere in California before 25. Um, and I used to joke that the guy that I uh, defeated in the election, he was 75 years old. So I always told everybody that between the two of us, there was over 100 years of experience about being county clerk. Of course, I didn't mention I was only the 25-year-old. So, uh, But I, I do want to transition to your main point, which was um, the work, uh, the very important work, that uh, needs to be done here in Mendocino to address climate change. And uh, a few years ago, uh, it's getting closer to three years ago now, uh, the group that I work with, the, the Grassroots Institute, uh, started uh, by setting up, uh, having a series of discussions uh, that really came out of the, the uh, 2016 uh, presidential election. Uh, about climate and what we could do about it. And there was a, a group of about uh, 20 people who uh, really decided that uh, we needed to think globally, but we also needed to act locally. And we came up uh, with a, uh, uh, after talking to a lot of people, I have to say, we talked to a lot of experts. We talked to a lot of uh, local uh, uh public officials, but also people in the private sector, uh, people who are doing work in terms of alternative energy generation, in terms of mitigating pollution, uh, in terms of uh, addressing um, greenhouse gas issues, um, and uh, non-elected public officials, bureaucrats who uh, work in transportation and in water systems uh, for cities and counties. And out of that process, we kind of gelled together a, uh, a vision that we, we thought ought to be the path that uh, uh, would help us in Mendocino County move uh, forward towards a better future for all of us in the challenges that climate change was bringing to us. Um, and that was a kind of three-part uh, uh, initiative. One was we wanted to see the expansion of uh, clean, green energy, uh, particularly solar, but also wind um, and other uh, uh, types of uh, clean energy, uh, whether it's uh, things like uh, fuel cell use or uh, geothermal. Um, and uh, so we proposed that we would ask uh, all of our local government officials to make a commitment um, uh, particularly in light of the new funds that were coming uh, to local government uh, from the state and the federal government for transitioning uh, to a green economy, uh, to make a commitment to put solar on public buildings along with uh, battery systems uh, so that uh, in times of uh, emergencies and crises, of course, we've seen a lot of those in terms of wildfires and flooding, 
that the public would have a place that they could go to um, to recharge um, their uh, personal devices um, and uh, that those would operate independently of whether or not the grid was working or not. This was also the same time that PG&E was turning off the grid periodically uh, due to wildfire. So it was it was a resilience in the in in terms of able to function as a society uh, when uh, you have a large organization like PG&E, which owns all of the grid lines, uh, makes you uh, very uh, dependent. Um, and that's not something that kind of, well, I will say that grates on, that grates on and, and is, is kind of uh, difficult for a lot of uh, Mendocinites to to really embrace. They're used to standing on their own two feet and doing what they need to do to support their communities. So they were interested in what we could do and what we started advocating uh, to public officials with put, putting solar on public buildings and battery systems. Also, um, there's, a, there's growing uh, evidence that one of the biggest greenhouse gas uh, uh, generators, particularly in this region, is transportation systems, automobiles in particular, and trucks. Um, and the federal and state government has made a specific and unequivocal commitment uh, to uh, transitioning to a uh, electrified transportation system by uh, 2035. And if so, one of our points was we need to build uh, electric vehicle infrastructure um, in our county. Uh, if particularly because we're so dependent upon tourism as a source for uh, income for so many of the local businesses um, and uh, residents in the county. Um, and as we transition to a uh, all electric transportation system by 2035, if we fall behind in terms of installing the uh, electric vehicle charging network that's needed to support easy and quick access to charging of vehicles, then people will go elsewhere. And our economy uh, will suffer both in terms of small businesses, but also the employees that that uh, work for them. Uh, and uh, so we really felt that the public sector needed to step up and uh, begin the work of uh, putting that infrastructure in place if we were going to remain competitive. And then the final uh, aspect of it was to convert our transport, our public transportation system uh, over to uh, a non-polluting fleet, either uh, electric uh, shuttles and, and small buses <clears throat> that could function in the community. And, and for the longer routes, um, fuel cell uh, buses that uh, don't pollute, but uh, can, can function in terms of uh, carrying larger loads for longer distances. Um, and uh, I, I want to commend the Board of Supervisors because when we made that pitch to the county, you and uh, Supervisor Haschek jumped on it. Um, and, uh, and the other supervisors got on board very quickly um, and really embraced it and, uh, and made uh, you know, a $2 million commitment towards uh, reducing the uh, county's uh, carbon emissions to net zero. Um, and uh, that, well, that's kind of a, a term, but what it really means is, is that while you still may need to do things that um, 
produce uh, carbon emissions and greenhouse gases, you can offset them by doing things that reduce um, uh, greenhouse gas and carbon emissions. Um, and uh, uh, by like, for example, converting over to solar energy, uh, geothermal, um, <clears throat> by uh, increasing insulation, energy conservation. And, uh, you know, the wisdom of what the Board of Supervisors embraced about a year and a half ago in passing that resolution is that it, it not only um, moves us in the direction towards being uh, a, a sustainable uh community in uh, synchronization with a sustainable ecology in the county. But it also, from a very uh, self-serving standpoint, moves us away from expensive uh, technologies that just cost the taxpayers huge amounts of money and uh, keep us from investing in our own futures. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that uh, you know, when you put solar on a public building, suddenly you're the generator of electricity. You can sell that electricity onto the grid. So instead of paying PG&E to deliver that electricity to you or paying some entity to provide you with that electricity, you are the seller of the electricity and uh, you start getting income from that. So that's just a straight up uh, benefit to the taxpayers that don't have to pay those PG&E bills going into the future. Um, and actually get uh, rebates back from selling the electricity to others when uh, when it's in excess of what you uh, need for your own uses. Um, when you put insulation in public buildings, you cut the costs of uh, producing the heating and cooling that's needed. Um, and the same thing goes for installing heat pumps. So this is, and you know, the, the thing I wanna really emphasize is in a lot of ways, one of the problems that we have with government these days is that it doesn't tend to be uh, willing to take on risk. It doesn't tend to be as innovative as the private sector and individuals are. So solar um, electrification, this is not cutting edge technology with high risk. This is trailing edge technology at this point. The people in Mendocino are already putting uh, solar on their roofs. They're already putting solar on their businesses. They're already installing uh, battery systems that enable them to uh, generate electricity uh, for others and sell it on the grid and then use it, um, uh, store it in their own batteries and use it at night when the sun, sun isn't out. They're already installing um, insulation. Uh, they're already um, buying electric vehicles and installing chargers. Um, um, so they're, they're ahead of the curve when it comes to local government. Uh, and it's just what we're asking for local government on this issue is really just to catch up. Um, and uh, so it's still a high priority. We still have a work group that's been working on this with public officials. And, and I want to commend not only the county uh, for what they've done, but also recently the city of Ukiah um, embraced its own uh, climate uh, program uh, for cutting costs. Um, and becoming uh, more sustainable as a community. And um, the city of Fort Bragg has certainly shown uh, that it's interested in moving in that direction. Um, and uh, school districts are huge already. There's a whole bunch of schools districts in the county that have already installed solar on their properties and are already benefiting from it. So special districts are getting in line. And certainly, like I said, the private sector's already jumped in. 
So uh, it's been a great collaboration to be able to work with the supervisors on this and uh, move in that direction. And I, I want to specifically commend the county for a decision it made about a year ago to, um, to convert its uh, fleet over the next several years from uh, fossil fuel vehicles over to um, uh, low emission vehicles, either electric or uh, hybrids, um, appropriate to the task, but that will uh, have a tremendous impact in terms of reducing the county's costs and improving uh, its ability financially to serve the public. Um, I think the assessments on that were that <clears throat> that there were, uh, I think, one to two million dollars uh, in long-term savings that would be generated by making that conversion. And uh, another uh, independent audit of the, the that the uh, county commission, the Wildan study, uh, about a year and a half, a year and a half ago, maybe maybe a year ago, um, uh, pointed out that by doing the things that we're talking about, putting solar and battery systems in county facilities, by transitioning the fleet, by uh, installing uh, insulation and energy conservation um, uh, uh, investments in county facilities that over the depreciation life of the infrastructure, which is 30 years, the county would save $3 million um, in costs. That's $3 million that taxpayers uh, uh, either don't have to pay or can be invested in, in programs like parks and schools and, um, and addressing uh, the needs that they're gonna be manifest with uh, as climate change really kind of sets in for our county. Um, so it's been, uh, I think we've made some progress. I, I, I would be the first one to be self-critical and say we haven't made enough progress. Um, I, I commend the county for m making uh, the effort um, to move in that direction. And uh, all, you know, what we want to do as a community-based organization is try to <clears throat> build public support for smart solutions that benefit the public good. And Peter, if I could just add to the um, update for the public on some of the projects that are taking place in Mendocino County is uh, we have a countywide transportation planning agency, the Mendocino Council of Governments, where I'm, uh, I've been serving for 20 something years. Um, it, it has worked very hard for many years to try to encourage um, electric car vehicle chargers throughout the county. And, and it's, it's effort has, um, it's yielding some charging stations around the county and um, they're working with uh, ChargePoint, which is a, currently with a ChargePoint, which is a company that is going to be installing with um, state funds, some additional chargers in Mendocino County. Uh, the County of Mendocino also obtained a grant recently to install electric uh, vehicle chargers at two properties of the county in Ukiah, uh, the Low Gap uh, Admin Center and also UKO, which is near the co-op. And then uh, also uh, the county, since this resolution, um, I, I would say the Cultural Services Agency, which is principally the library, but also the county museum in Willits, uh, has really embraced this idea. And they originally were requesting a backup um, power source for when there is a brownout or a, a, a loss of power because people will sometimes go to the libraries looking for um, a place to charge their phones, to get internet, et cetera. And uh, we're told generally it would cost probably maybe close to half a million dollars to to install permanent um, diesel uh, backup generators, which of course would only be used a few times a year, maybe or once a year. 
and um, instead they embraced this idea and um, and obtained a grant to ins uh, partially pay for um, uh, uh, solar panels on the Willits Library and the Willits Museum with electric batteries. So it's going to be the first example of this on a on a county um, property, and um, the total cost is about the same as for installing just some diesel generators that would have mostly been just you know deteriorating infrastructure once it was installed. Instead, they'll have something that supplies them with uh, clean power 24 seven, 365 days of the year. So it really points to the way that that really is the more cost-effective solution than a lot of the um, kind of older ideas that the people were dealing with in, in immediate response to um, the brownouts and the, and the fires that we had, which was of course, oh, let's go buy or rent a, or lease a, a generator that is emitting more carbon in the, in the atmosphere. Um, uh, I just want to remind the listeners, we are, uh, this is uh, Mendocino County Public Radio. You're listening uh, to KZOX, Philo 90.7. Um, this is Citizen U. Um, I am your host, Dan Jurdy, the host of the show, the first Wednesday of the month, 9 a.m. to 10. Mari Roden, UKI Council member, is the host of the show, the uh, third Wednesday of the month. Nine to seven, and today we are um, uh, meeting uh, Peter McNamee. He is a Mendocino County resident who uh, is a community volunteer. He um, is um, working pretty extensively with a nonprofit here in Mendocino County called the Grassroots Institute. We were just talking about one of the um, one of the I would say pretty significant um, kind of outreach projects that they had with um, local governments in Mendocino County. Um, urging them all um, to uh, go uh, away from um, carbon emitting kind of old school petroleum um, solutions and look for um, carbon free solutions for um, the people of Mendocino County and for their organizations. Uh, County Mendocino being one of the um, agencies that um, work with them to uh, adopt uh, some policies that, to implement that vision. Um, Peter, the Grassroots Institute also has working groups um, on a number of other topics. Uh, maybe we could talk about a couple of the other topics that, that they're focused on. I'd love to. Um, uh, and uh, uh, the first one that I, I would like to talk about is uh, we have a, a water work group um, that's focusing on drought issues. Um, and uh, it's I think there are a number of local agencies and community groups that have been working on water issues for decades. Um, some much better uh, organized and, and farther down the road uh, than others. Um, but I think everybody is recognizing that uh, increasingly water as a uh, result of the climate change issues that uh, we're facing um, is uh, a, a commodity, a, uh, a requirement uh, for our well-being, and um, and so, uh, uh, like I said, there are a number of groups. Some are looking at bigger picture issues, like um, you know, uh, large reservoirs, uh, raising Coyote Dam, for example, uh, or uh, the uh, you know the the transfer of water from. Uh, the eel basin uh, to the Russian River uh, drainage system, and uh, adding that water uh, or part of that water into uh, the water that Mendocino has access to. Um, other groups have been looking at, uh, uh, you know, uh, small individual reservoirs owned by 
farmers and ranchers um, in irrig and, and irrigation districts uh, to try to bolster how much of the rainwater uh, can be saved and retained. And I want to, again, commend uh, Supervisor McGordy. He's been uh, doing a lot of leadership work in this area. Um, and uh, uh, it's, it's highly commendable. Um, our work group, the one with the Grassroots Institute, has been focused more on what uh, individual residents um, and uh, businesses can do uh, in uh, areas, particularly where uh, they don't have uh, significant aquifers to tap for groundwater. Uh, so uh, we have a work group that is focused on uh, additional well storage, uh, rain catchment systems, um, gray water reuse uh, on a personal level, you know, like uh, small businesses that uh, particularly in the tourist industry, for example, that use a lot of water for laundry um, and landscape. Um, uh, so uh, one of the things that they've been focusing on is retrofitting uh, tourist uh, destinations, uh, hotels and restaurants and such uh, with uh, gray water systems that uh, can be used uh, to uh, 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 water landscape, but also recharge uh, uh, well water. Um, and uh, also the, they're looking at uh, the use of uh, permeable pavement uh, as a substitution for traditional asphalt to let more rainwater soak into the ground. Um, and uh, they're in the process of, of looking at preparing a grant uh, that they anticipate to be in about the $3 million range uh, to submit uh, for uh, funding to uh, to do a large outreach effort uh, to the community to educate people about how they can uh, use these kinds of personal uh, uh, approaches to uh, securing uh, their uh, water needs, um, particularly during drought periods and summer periods when wells often go dry. Um, and uh, so it's, it's a very exciting uh, project. Uh, they've been working on it for about a year now um, and uh, making some great strides. They've done a number of educational uh, programs, particularly focused on, on along the coast in the Mendocino Village area. Um, uh, and uh, they've been working with local businesses there. So, so that's a, a real exciting initiative. Um, and uh, I also... Uh, would like to, you know, kind of do a shout out for uh, a group that's just getting started now. Um, uh, it's a group that focuses on uh, the longer term planning vision for our county um, and the kinds of challenges that we anticipate uh, happening here in Mendocino in terms of the health of our communities. Uh, and so one of the first initiatives that we're looking at is um, we, uh, we worked with uh, the Board of Supervisors and uh, the uh, 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 City of Fort Bragg um, to encourage them uh, to uh, submit a request to the California uh, Coastal Commission for uh, $3 million in grant funds to fund uh, a what's called a, a local coastal program update. And for people who aren't familiar with uh, the Coastal Act or uh, uh, local coastal programs. Um, essentially, there's a strip along California's coastline that goes from, generally speaking, the first major road 
public easement to the ocean. And that's called the Coastal Zone. And the Coastal Commission, under the Coastal Act that was passed back in 1974, has responsibility for making sure that land uses uh, in that coastal zone uh, are for the public benefit and uh, for the protection of natural resources. Uh, so it's, it's recognized that uh, residences and businesses operate in the coastal zone um, and to the extent possible, uh, the Coastal Commission has established policies that try to ensure that uh, they operate with the least environmental damage um, and uh, in terms of ensuring the greatest public benefit, like one thing we're probably all familiar with, because we've seen the signs when we go down to the beach are those signs that say, you know, coastal access um, provided by, and, uh, you know, they'll say the land trust or uh, the coastal conservancy, or, and in many cases, they'll also say the California Coastal Commission. So uh, that's a, a major goal that the uh, Coastal Commission has, but at the local level, Local governments like the county of Mendocino and the city of Fort Bragg and the city of Point Arena, they have what's called these local coastal programs, which are the rules uh, for how you can use uh, lands in that coastal zone. And so this update uh, is a, it's very exciting and, and uh, the, the Grassroots Institute has a work group that's focusing on it, um, will give us an opportunity uh, and funds to hire the expertise to take a real deep look at what climate change uh, and sea level rise in particular are going to do in terms of uh, changing the dynamics of uh, our local coastal areas. Um, in, in terms of you know, just pragmatically speaking, um, these are things like we have several places on Highway 1 which are uh, in all likelihood going to be washed away as a result of sea level rise. Um, uh, you know, the uh, anticipated levels are anywhere from two to eight feet of sea level rise. And, uh, and so you, you have all these areas along our coast where if the, when the sea level gets to be two to three or four feet high, um, it's gonna wash out uh, highway one and um, that's a vital transportation corridor for everybody in the county, not just the people that live on the coast, but all the tourists that come to visit with us and also just all the businesses that serve the people who live on the coast. Um, and so uh, that's a major issue. We're also dealing with the impacts of climate change. We've had massive die-offs of bishop pines. They're creating a fire hazard um, along the coast end. We know that droughts are also being exaggerated um, uh, in terms of their severity uh, because of climate change. So uh, we have, for example, uh, I'll give you another example, a pragmatic example. We have a uh, harbor, the Noyo Harbor, but also the Point Arena Harbor, uh, which um, are at sea level. So if sea levels rise you know, two to eight feet, um, they're going to have real challenges to figure out how they can restructure their operations to continue in operation. And it may very well be possible that, or, or, or not possible, but it may very well be uh, necessary to do major relocations um, over the next 10, 20, 30 years uh, of those kinds of facilities. And they'll have a huge impact on not just the, the fishing community, uh, both the commercial and the recreational community, but in the larger community of businesses and people who 
um, rely on the uh, tourism that's generated through those uh, harbors, uh, but also in terms of you know just servicing those uh, fishing uh, operations. So that's a huge project, and uh, and the Coastal Commission has uh, made a three. $0.2 million grant to the cities and county uh, to, to focus on uh, developing strategies uh, through the local coastal programs to address sea level rise and climate change uh, proactively. Um, you know, it, telling people where, you know, new wetland areas are going to be. So if you're thinking about building a house, you don't build it on some place where either the bluff is going to erode out from under it and it's going to fall into the ocean. Or, or uh, in a wetland area that might seem dry now, but in a few years, less than a 30-year uh, time period that you've got for your mortgage uh, is going to be underwater, and you're not going to be able to use that that home or that business as a result. Uh, laying out the mapping on those things so that people are well-educated and they can make good decisions is a huge, huge project. So um, those those two, we've also, uh, you know, I know I'm I'm – rambling along here, talking pretty fast, but there are eight work groups that the Grassroots Institute has in effect right now. They're all doing great work in a lot of different areas, things from affordable housing uh, to uh, uh, maintaining and preserving uh, our natural forests. Um, we have one group that specializes on uh, engaging citizenry uh, to uh, go out onto the uh, coastal bluffs and take out invasive plants so that native plants can uh, reestablish themselves uh, on our headlands. Uh, so there's a lot of hands-on things that we're doing. Um, we, we, we do uh, candidate and election education, uh, uh, trying to educate people about uh, local government, what it does, how it does it, and uh, uh, what the issues are that communities are facing and what the candidates running for office uh, will be focusing on. We're going to be focusing uh, on the next set of supervisorial and city council elections coming up in 2024. So lots of things going on. And uh, for the listening audience out of there, I just want to say, if you've got a problem and you think it needs to be worked on and you know other people that think it needs to be worked on and you just need a place to, to uh, work with other people who are concerned about the community and developing uh, solutions for the common good, then we, we hope you'll you know, get con in contact with us um, and uh, join in that effort. We, we have new work groups forming all the time uh, and uh, that's what we're all about. We wanna encourage uh, a bottom-up grassroots effort uh, to develop our own futures for Mendocino County in our own community. So, so, Peter, briefly, um, how would people get a hold of the Grassroots Institute if they want to reach out to the group? Well, you know, the fastest and best way is, of course, to go to our website. And uh, it's uh, the easiest way to get to our website is just to use your your uh, search engine on your computer, your Google or uh, Safari or whatever you use, and just type in grassroots, one word, um, and institute. And uh, you should should see the link to our site pop up in your search engine. Um, the actual uh, uh, website, uh, I'll, I'll try to do it slowly because it's a long website, unfortunately, in terms of its name, but it's www 
dot grassroots, that's one word, dash institute dot org. And uh, I'll also uh, give out a phone number that people can call and leave us a message. It's uh, 707-593-6084. I'll repeat that. 707-593-6084. So uh, reach out to us. Uh, we'll try to get back to you and put you in touch with other people that are of like interest. And hopefully that'll serve as a catalyst to uh, enabling you to better influence uh, your own future. Thank you, Peter. And thank you for the work at the Grassroots Institute on all those um, exciting issues. Um, at, at our last Board of Supervisors meeting, I publicly announced um, that I would not be seeking a fourth term on the Board of Supervisors. Um, but I, I, I want to um, encourage other people to consider running for office or volunteering whether it's with a group like the Grassroots Institute or serving on a board or commission, there are so many ways people can get involved in Mendocino County locally um, to make a difference in, in the community. Um, they, it doesn't require running for office. It can, again, be um, a community volunteer with a nonprofit um, or on a board or commission. Um, one of the things that um, uh, I would say uh, in looking at the glass half full uh, with local government is there are many, first of all, there are just many, many hardworking people who are smart, they're problem solvers, and and their organizations work well. And an example that um, I want to point to is um, Snow and Clean Power. So Snow and Clean Power is a um, local government agency first initially created by the cities and the county of Sonoma. And then later, um, the county of Mendocino, we, we chose rather than reinventing the wheel and and creating our own version of Sonoma Clean Power, we we voted to join them, and um, but it is a government agency, and and as someone who's been serving on that board, um, you know I'm really impressed um, by the the work of the of the people at Sonoma Clean Power, and and the mission. Um, so, for example, you know um, they like any organization, like any business, they they've got certain risks facing them. In in their case, it could be customers not paying paying their bills. So for example, when COVID hit and you know people lost their incomes, um, fortunately there were state and federal dollars um, to pay some utility bills for people. So so that that risk was mitigated. Um, but their other risk that's ongoing is um, in the case of Sonoma Clean Power as a as a non as a government agency providing the wholesale power to customers through PG&E, um, the Ca state of California requires that Agencies like Sonoma Clean Power, their customers have to pay PG&E, not just for maintaining the transmission lines, but also because legacy utilities, investor-owned utilities like PG&E, have long-term contracts for purchasing power. And as those customers left um, the public utilities like PG&E, um, those agencies in the state of California are, are guaranteed to be paid for that power that they purchased. Um, we've wondered with the multiple bankruptcies of PG&E, why they've not been forced to um, get out from under some of those legacy contracts for purchasing power. But nevertheless, it becomes an expense of um, the agencies like Snow Clean Power to pay um, what seems like a never-ending bill um, for those legacy contracts. Um, and so that's a threat to the agency. And, and, and when 
that request comes in every year from PG&E for yet more money on that front. What I see at Sonoma Clean Power is is staff that that work diligently to crunch the numbers and challenge the request by PG&E and successfully year in year out, um, basically argue with the Public Utilities Commission on behalf of the ratepayers to reduce the request um, that PG&E is putting in, reducing the ultimately the the fee, the, the tariff that um, Sonoma Clean Power customers pay. Um, and so to this year, we're, we're back at our rates being lower than PG&E in spite of that tariff being in place. In a place like Nevada, where they have the same situation, the, the, in, um, the utilities only had three years, basically, to get that, that payment from the local government providing the pow- wholesale power. California has no end in sight. I don't understand what the deal is with California, why they're allowing the investor-owned utilities to get this you know, back payment, what seems like an, a never-ending um, payment system, but um, Nevada, like I said, cut it off after three years. But anyway, in spite of that, Sonoma Clean Power rates are are lower by about five percent this year than than PG&E, and um, and then and then that allows the organization to when they deal with those threats to the the funding to focus on the constructive kind of mission of of Sonoma Clean Power, which principally is providing um, various programs to customers to help them transition to more energy efficient and and cleaner um, technologies, whether it's through a rebate to convert to a heat pump system from say a propane or, or other less efficient heating system to, for their house, to going to a, um, a more efficient um, hot water heater, any number of, of good programs like that. And then the other mission of, of Sonoma Clean Power is, is to make sure its power source that it's purchasing is as clean as possible. When we joined um, Sonoma Clean Power here in Mendocino County, at that time, their portfolio was um, 78% uh, free of carbon emissions. Today, it's at 93% free of carbon emissions. It's less than half the carbon emissions of, of PG&E. And, um, and we set a, a, what we thought was a stretch goal to our staff at Sonoma Clean Power to, to get to 100% clean power for all customers of Sonoma Clean Power. Um, and they thought, yeah, we'll see. And we, we set a goal of 2030. They came back a couple months ago and said, we think we can get there by 2026. I mean, it's exciting when you see um, public employees who, you know, don't, don't just dial it in, but but really own the problems and and come up with creative solutions. And 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 I'm just giving an example of Sonoma Clean Power as being an, a, a relatively small organization but it is an example of, of a government agency that that really consistently um, you know meets and exceeds expectations. Um, so anyway, that's just an example I, I want to give. Um, and there are many, many examples of local government um, where it works. And uh, you know I really appreciate it when I when I see um, staff and exam- Snow Clean Power example where where when there is a risk to the organization, to the budget, to the mission of the organization where um, you know you have staff that consistently, Kind of own the problem they they find a solution and, and they they resolve it um peter so again your experience with um state government local government um what are some examples that you have of um of of where you're seeing government agencies um, being successful you know it's a great question um and what you were talking about in terms of sonoma clean power is okay um caller you're on the air I guess we lost that color. Sorry, sorry, Peter. <laughs> well, <clears throat> what you were you were pointing out about Sonoma Clean Power, 
that's re being replicated in uh, you know government at all levels um, uh, all over the planet. Um, you know, uh, a few years ago, uh, then Governor uh, Jerry Brown convened uh, a climate summit in San Francisco, uh, focusing specifically on what what's commonly referred to as subnational governments. Subnational governments mean the states, the counties, the cities, the special districts. Um, uh, and uh, what they were doing in terms of innovation. Um, and it, it, it's exactly what you were saying earlier. There, there's two ways of looking at government. One is the, the glass is always half full. It's never living up to, to the, what we, we as citizens want our government to do. Part of it's just the inherent nature of government being uh, a risk adverse operation. You don't want government to operate like the private sector because you can't afford for governments to go out of business. Um, you know, you can't afford for the, for the city or the county that you rely upon for your police or your fire or your uh, uh, water services to just announce, well, we made some mistakes. Sorry about that. We're bankrupt. Your service is disconnected immediately. You know, in the private sector, you can pull that off by saying, okay, well, you can go down the street to the other guy who provides whatever service, whether it's, you know, a store or a hardware shop or whatever it is, uh, you know, a plumber or electrician, you go someplace else. But in government, it's a monopoly operation, so it can't afford to go out of business. So therefore, it's inherently conservative um, and it's inherently uh, risk adverse. But that doesn't mean that there isn't innovation going on. And in, in those government bodies that are looking forward um, and anticipating um, what challenges are going to confront communities, there's a lot of innovation. Sonoma Clean Power is a good example. There are countless school districts, many in Mendocino County, for example, that have installed solar through grant programs from the state and federal government on their schools and buildings in order to reduce their electricity bills and to provide um, reliable uh, electricity in times when uh, the PG&E grid fails us. Um, there are cities um, and uh, 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 special districts that have uh, developed innovative programs for water conservation, water treatment, sewer treatment, um, in order to lower customer costs and uh, to improve the quality of the services. I mean, it, it's just, uh, you know, it's actually kind of amusing, but study after study after study shows that the water that you buy at the store in a plastic bottle is no less safe or pure than the water that you buy in any city uh, or county um, uh, uh, by opening on the tap on your phone, because it's uh, regulated and it's treated um, and to make it and to ensure it's, it's, it's safe. Um, and in fact, in many cases, the bottled water you're buying is just city or county water that's been put in a plastic bottle and now they're selling it to you um, instead of giving, <laughs> giving it to you uh, through what you pay for through your, your city and county taxes. There, there are infinite number of innovative programs that have to do with uh, retraining programs uh, for public employees uh, and private employees. Um, you know, I, I point to one that I think is really illustrative of a, an innovative program that the state of California initiated a couple decades ago. It's called the Employment Training Program. 
Um, and I had the privilege of being the executive director for about uh, five years. Um, I was appointed to that job by then Governor Gray Davis. Um, but what it's premised on is something really radical. It's, uh, it, it's essentially a, a pay for performance program. So um, all, all private employers, those of you out there in the listening audience may know this, or probably do, there's a small uh, tax that's imposed for every private sector employee. It's $7 a year. Go ahead. Oh, You're waving Peter, at me, Dan. Um, Peter, we are out of time. Um, I, I want to thank you for being on the show. This has been Citizen U on KZUX, Mencio County Public Radio. And um, uh, I really appreciate the work that you do here, Mendocino County and the Grassroots Institute. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.